Hi, welcome back to Smoking Issues. Today we're talking about liturgy, pastoral discipline, and the good of the local church. The question that we're going to be exploring today is, will evangelical pastors just do whatever makes their church happy? Or does the freedom of methodology allow pastors to better reach their context? Join us as we discuss these issues, all while smoking a Punch Champion cigar. Enjoy. podcast where nerdy guys smoke cigars and talk about smoking issues in the church. Thank you for being here. If you have any questions or want to comment on what we discuss, you can contact us via Facebook Messenger. You can email us at smokingissues at gmail.com or you can go to our website, smokingissues.com. If you are joining us and you are unfamiliar with me, I am Ian. And I'm Josh. Ian, how are you doing today, man? I am well. Uh, Christmas is now officially over. Do you know that? It's been over for quite a while. No, it hasn't. Christmas ends on uh, February 2nd, Feast of Presentation of Christ in the Temple. Oh my gosh. Uh, Christmas is a 40-day feast. It's 40 days? Do you literally feast for 40 days? I mean, do I look like I feast for 40 days? (laughs) I don't know. I can't see you. (laughs) Let me assure you, there's been 40 days of feasting. So, there we go. Well, if you've been feasting for 40 days, then you'll look about a little bit closer to what I look like. <laughs> I need to go on a fast for 40 days. And Maybe the that'll help. Is there a part in the church calendar where I can do that? Uh funny you should ask that. There is. Coming up in a few weeks. It's called Lent. Oh well yeah, but fast from food. I mean Lent. Give up eating all food for Lent. Try that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. It'll be great. That'll last about uh two days. I, I might give it three. <laughs> Well, um, we've got a really interesting podcast today, and uh, you might be wondering why the title is the way it is. So the title is uh, two different songs, an REM song and a Radiohead song. And uh, uh, I actually was on the phone with Ian uh, a few weeks ago, and he said something that made me really angry. What's what's unusual about that? (laughs) It actually, there's not that much unusual about it. It was just uh, the level of visceral reaction I had, I think, was was probably more so than normal. Are you proud of yourself, Ian? Uh, I am proud of myself, frankly, and uh, I hope to get a rise out of you more frequently. <laughs> We're doing the podcast. It just, I guess I come prepared to talk so it doesn't, sometimes the crazy things you say don't have as much impact on me, but... Anyway, Ian and I were talking on the phone, and um, and he was talking about the discipline of uh, evangelical pastors, and essentially was saying how the um, apostleship or the the role of a bishop um, protects the the priesthood, the, the role of a pastor, from becoming lazy or just kind of doing whatever they want. And he said this word. He said, "I'm pulling it up here." He said, will evangelical pastors just do whatever makes their church happy? 
um, questioning the discipline of evangelical pastors. And so that made me really angry as an evangelical pastor. But then I was like, you know what? Nope, save it, bottle it in so that I can bring it out in the podcast. So I don't think that worked very well. I'm not good at bottling stuff in. I have to talk about it in the moment. But um, I was disciplined. I was disciplined in. I'm proud of you. As an evangelical pastor. To, um, to not talk about it in the moment. And we're talking about it today. So we were thinking, again, uh, we're thinking about the title of, um, of our podcast. And uh, we came up with two different song lyrics. So this is kind of be the battle of bands today. Um, Ian, do you want to walk us through the, the first uh, title and uh, explain kind of why that fits with your perspective? Well, um, you know, obviously we get to show ourselves how cool we are by quoting both <laughs> R.E.M. and Radiohead. In one podcast. In one podcast. It's Isn't great. That? We are so relevant.com right now. <laughs> this is a running joke about relevant.com. I, I mean, I mean, it's like you know, it's up there with the Onion and the Babylon Bee. I'm like, is this a satire? I don't. Know. I, uh, I I know people that write for Relevant.com, so I need not share my thoughts on it. So, Shiny Happy People by REM. Chorus goes: um, Shiny Happy People holding hands. Shiny Happy People holding hands. Shiny Happy People laughing. Um, and uh, a key line: um, Throw your love around. Love me, love me. Take it into town. Happy, happy. And uh, from my perspective, I think that uh, oftentimes what we see, um, you know, supposedly Bible-believing evangelical churches doing in their public ministry is uh, rooted around drawing a crowd and making people happy um, and making people enjoy themselves uh, far more than it is about perhaps making disciples or making Christ known. Okay, there you go. So that's why you picked the song. Mm-hmm. So I picked Shiny Happy. So I picked Fitter Happier. And um, it starts off uh, by Radiohead. It starts off by saying, Fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym. And then, and then it kind of goes down a little bit um, and it says, No paranoia, sleeping well, no bad dreams. Uh, keeps going. And, and all the while, this is being uh, talked about in a very robotic voice. Mm-hmm. There's an electronic voice that's saying all these things. Um, charity standing orders on Sundays, ring roads, supermarket, no killing moths or putting boiling water on ants. And then it says, um, uh, no chance of escape at a better pace, slower and more calculated, an empowered and informed member of society. Pragmatism, not idealistic no longer empty and frantic. And then it says, uh, at the end, it says, calm, fitter, healthier, and more productive, a pig in a cage on antibiotics. And the idea is um, talking about how rigid structures within society um, lead us from, at the beginning of the song, being fitter and happier and more productive, um, and to the end, uh, illustrating uh, the level of control that society is trying to put on us, um, like a pig in a cage on antibiotics. And actually, as I was reading the lyrics, I thought that this was very expressive of how I feel about um, denominational structures and systems that impose um, structure on local churches devoid of the context of local church. And so when I read these things, I think, well, this is, this is what I feel like rigid denominational structures and systems are trying to do. 
Um, they're trying to kind of box me in. They're trying to box us in so that we all kind of say the same thing, do the same thing, feel the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you think, and you think this is a bad thing, just to be specific? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to make that so clear. Well, we are talking about uh, liturgy, pastoral discipline, and the good of the local church in its mission and ministry. Uh, will evangelical pastors do, do whatever makes their church happy, or does the freedom of me- or does a freedom of methodology allow pastors to better do their job and reach their context? So we're going to uh, approach this with two different questions. Um, the first one. Um, before our smoke break is going to be on the autonomy of the local pastor. Then we're going to have a smoke break, and we're going to talk about um, the second one, is, um, uh, is, is pastoral discipline learned or structured? So this one is, um, is, the, um, is the local pastor, what Ian would refer to as a priest, what I would prefer to as a lead pastor or senior pastor, is the, um, are they autonomous? So Ian, kind of what, start us off with your arguments. Well, my argument in response to the direct question, uh, is a local pastor autonomous, is um, in, in, in what sense? Um, they derive uh, their, their right to minister um, from their obedience to their, their superior, their, their, their bishop, uh, who then uh, you know, grants them the authority to have ministry in the church under that bishop's care. Um, so they have, to, they, they, they have someone they have to answer to. Uh, who shapes their ministry. Um, so I do not think uh, local pastors are, uh, are autonomous in many ways. Um, and now, of course, uh, in, in my denomination, that um, the, the role of the pastor is prescribed in some ways in terms of how public worship is conducted and, uh, and, what, and what priests are expected to do. Um, I would say how those things are done is is left to the local church to figure out, um, but like you know the, the 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 formal formal public meetings and formal worship of the church is is not not negotiable. Uh, neither is the fact that the the minister is called to the ministry of word and sacrament. This is not negotiable. These are these are these are uh, facts which shape the ministry of the priest. Okay, that's a uh, that's coming from your Anglican background. Mm-hmm. Um, pastors being under the authority of a bishop, they do not act um, autonomously. So uh, let, let's move into kind of the, the critique or the argument against the autonomy of evangelical pastors. So why don't you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so, uh, you know, what, what I've seen, um, uh, some of the, the silliness that I've encountered in, uh, in many churches is that it looks a lot like pastors will permit um, in their in the churches in their care, um, any any practice at all, uh, which keeps people engaged or keeps people coming through the door. Why don't you give us some examples of strange, weird practices? Smoke machines. Okay, you were pretty quick on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, smoke machines, laser lights, uh, expensive sound equipment. Um, you know, uh, LED LED laser screens, LED display screens. Um, flashing graphics. Are those wrong? Uh, they are unnecessary. We all know these are unnecessary to the worship of God. Um, and, uh, and, and these, these seem to be um, novelties uh, designed to engage a crowd. 
uh, far more than designed uh, to uh, to help a congregation uh, think through their discipleship or offer prayers to God. Okay, so let's go down a little bit deeper because I want to I want to really get to the heart of your critique, so that I can I can have a good rebuttal to it. So, uh, what do you think is the core problem? Like, what's the what's the deeper issue? The issue is not um, smoke machines, laser light shows. And LED screens, in and of themselves, are not wrong. So, what's the what's the deeper what's the deeper issue here? Well, the deeper issue here is, of course, that uh, it, it looks a lot like uh, in these communities, um, the the practices being taken up by the local church uh, are not reflected on theologically, are not reflected on in light of scripture, but they are enacted um, because they are popular and because people will enjoy them. So it's so it's it's a, it's a lack of critical engagement uh, with theology, uh, with the text of scripture, um, uh, in in the service of the gospel. Okay. Any other points for your argument before I kind of jump in? Um, I think uh, I think that's pretty much uh, a, a well stated case. Frankly. Good, good. Well, it kind of goes back to um, well. First off, I want to say um, when I walk into a church where there are laser light shows or fog machines, I have to ball my fists and not get angry. So I would say that, um, I agree with you in the sense of when I walk into a place like that, it doesn't feel right. Uh, I think that some of those things are unnecessary. So I think that probably you and I would agree to that. I, I kind of ascribe to a more simple church model where, um, let's keep the budget low. Let's keep the expectations low. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's preach the gospel consistently. Let's consistently administer communion and let's consistently be baptizing new believers and discipling them. So I, I would say that that you and I would probably feel the same things. However, um, we come to different conclusions mm -hmm. as a result of it. So uh, I, I think the Bible is intentionally silent. And as we discussed um, last week with our podcast last week, um, you and I would both agree that the Bible does not state methodology. Um, it doesn't explicitly state specific methodology for how the church should run or function. Um, you mentioned last week that it comes from and out of uh, the previous generations. Mm -hmm. you, had, you said that it comes from bishops and, and the authority of those bishops. Um, I believe the Bible's intentionally silent to preserve the autonomy of local churches, to reach their local context. Um, but what I will say is when the Bible calls us to be both missional, um, going out, being sent as Jesus is sent, and attractional, we're, by our life and the way that we act, um, we are to draw people to an understanding of who Jesus is, to an understanding of who God is by our actions and by our words. And so in, in the life of a Christian, we're supposed to go out and reach people who are far away from Jesus as missionaries. Yet we are also supposed to attract people by our life and our lifestyle to a different way of living. And I believe that that's the, supposed to be the same as the church as well. And so um, what Whereas you and I walk into a space, given our perspective and our methodology of church, which in this respect, Ian, is actually the same. Uh, we would both ascribe to simple church models. However, what I see is, this is not my preference. What I do see is those churches do attract people from the world around us that don't often go to church and makes them feel at home, makes them feel comfortable, and might even make them feel entertained. But in the midst of that process, 
um, of maybe a well-done service um, with laser light shows, with fog machines, while that's not our preference, um, if people who are far from Jesus are, are getting reached by the message of the gospel, then I would say, let's use all the cultural forms that we can. And it kind of goes back to my understanding of um, a local church's autonomy. Um, it helps us with contextualization. So we speak to the culture that we're in. And, uh, and I even think about uh, how the Bible was written. It's written in Koine Greek. It's not written in High Greek. It's not written in an academic... Um, at least the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. It's not written in some sort of high, flowering language, but it's contextualized to a local context. And so I think that, that even when you look at Paul in Athens, um, he's looking at the, he's going to the temples, he goes to the temple of the unknown God so that he might translate who God is to those people. So um, why can't laser light shows and fog machines be the same way? Oh, you want me to answer that question? Sure. Okay, I mean, um, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would say that uh, um, to, to perfectly reflect within the context of divine worship, uh, the, the cultural forms and shapes and rhythms of, for example, a rock show um, does not and cannot communicate the specificities of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you are um, exciting within people. You are you are speaking a, a language which is a, a language of entertainment, which provokes a certain response. I.e., um, you know, you applaud the band. You don't give thanks to God. So you have co-opted a secular um, model of entertainment, thinking that this is the same thing as divine worship. Uh, you are so. So what you're doing is you are picking up uh, a cultural form and a, and a social context, and bat- thinking you're baptizing it into the church. But what you're doing, you're giving people the same experience they could get um, at a nightclub or or at a show. But I would argue that um, the kind of virtue that creates is the virtue of a audience member or a spectator not uh calling forth in somebody uh a sacrifice praise and prayers so i think i get where you're coming from what is different about that than adopting first century cultural forms and trying to translate them into a 21st century context well uh for a start, I'm not sure who I'm not sure who perhaps, perhaps except for the <clears throat> Eastern Orthodox um, would think they're adopting first-century cultural norms. Um, so so that, that would be a conversation to have with somebody who's actually uh, actually Orthodox, and that's a, a that's a that's a, a desire they seem to have. Well, well, let's let let, let me be more specific because um, I'm trying to see what's different about adopting um, lights and fog machines, which again I disagree with, but let's just use this as an example. Um, versus adopting chants and the liturgy passed down from bishops of many generations ago that people today would walk into and they don't understand, they don't connect with, and quite frankly, they walk into, I've walked into Anglican services, and I feel totally out of place. I don't quite know where I am. I don't quite know where I'm supposed to speak, when I'm supposed to speak, what I'm supposed to do. So aren't they 
aren't isn't isn't uh, the liturgy of the Anglican Church just another Hellenistic cultural form that you've adopted? It's just older. Well, uh, for a start, it, it's rooted actually in in God's people already, uh, the synagogue of the of the, of the first century, uh, which which derives uh, quite a lot of the shape of Christian worship uh, in in uh, traditionalist uh, models today. Um, and so I'm not gonna I'm not going to stand and, and, and cast judgment on on what our spiritual forefathers did. So if Christians were to have invented laser lights and fog machines, would that make it okay? Uh, well, I mean, you know, the very first... Mo- the very, I mean, Christians have had fog machines for nearly 2,000 years, obviously. <laughs> That's called incense. It's called incense. <laughs> so, let's, so, so why isn't it okay? Why isn't what okay? All right, well, let's talk about that. There's incense, right? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a version of a fog machine. Laser light shows. We've got uh, um, light shining through stained glass. That's beautiful and some might even call distracting a couple hundred years ago. So, so what, what's the difference here? Why is, why is certain cultural forms of church bad in which you say it can't communicate certain aspects of the gospel and yet certain cultural forms are good? The only difference to me is that some are your traditions mm-hmm. and some are um, more modern traditions. Well, um, I, would, I would say that the, the, the difference has to do with the methodology by which these, these forms were adopted. Meaning the intention behind them. Meaning, meaning, meaning the fact that an intentional decision was made after careful discernment by an appointed authority that these should be acceptable practices within the church. So let's, let's press this in a little bit more. Um, so, and, and again, we're just using the hyperbolic example of a laser lights and fog machines. So, um, you're saying that it's valid because someone sat down, thought about it and made an intentional decision. Mm-hmm. So somebody probably sat down and thought about laser light shows and fog machines and made an intentional decision that a person who is not familiar with the context of church would walk in and find that familiar and comforting so that they would be in a space to be more receptive to the message that's spoken Mm -hmm. because they're in a familiar environment, which they can kind of orient themselves to. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, so again, I go back to, they're doing the same thing that, that you did. It's just newer. So what's the, what's the core problem with some of the autonomy of local churches to make, local decisions to reach their local people. What are they reaching those local people with exactly? I'm I'm I think I think the the decisions being made there are not well thought enough. They they the 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 decision being made there is how can we get the most people through the door? The language of the decision there is not how can we make disciples. You're the, ass- those those are two very two very different things. But I think you're assuming intention when you don't know. Um, I went to a, a church in, um, I guess it was San Antonio, Texas, that had 10,000 people, 20 campuses. Um, Max Ocato is the pastor mm-hmm. of that church. So um, I had an opportunity to go there and visit and um, meet some of the pastors on staff. And and uh, someone that I was working with was, was preaching there. So um, when I first walked in, they had laser, they had fog machines going. They had laser light shows. They had high definition cameras that streamed live stream. Uh, they had a thousand person sanctuary, um, <clears throat> nine services. And 
at first it just blew my concept of church out of the water. Here's why. Because at every service, um, at the first service, there was um, people in orange jumpsuits sitting in the first three rows. Mm -hmm. And a police officer on either end. So there's six police officers, one on each end of the row, three rows uh, filled in the front. And uh, what we found out later was is that there's a local ministry that was that's founded out of that church that was reaching the local women's prison. And so these women were able to get signed releases to come to church and worship. And so they're worshiping God, they're journaling, they're taking notes, they're receiving a good godly biblical message. They're in a small group in their jail where they're studying the scriptures and, and being discipled. Um, but they're in an environment that... Everything that seems very shallow on the surface. It really does. I thought it at first. Um, uh, the second service that I went to, there was a, a, a whole deaf community. There's a whole whole like section of people that were not singing, but were signing. And, uh, and, and this, the, the deaf community um, wasn't getting reached. But this church had the resources, the people, the means to reach people with the gospel that were far away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they have a mode or model of church that you would say has not been intentionally thought about. And I actually think that I disagree with that. I think that the autonomy has allowed them to uh, attract enough people into a local congregation to where they can do things that a small, um, simple church model, like probably what you and I would, would align with, can't do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the resources to do it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure the ends justify the means in that instance. You're not sure that people coming to faith and being discipled justify the use of fog machines and laser lights and attracting people into a building. I'm not sure that uh, generating buzz around a large gathering uh, such that you can derive enough of an income to then fund uh, some different ministries is a really particularly good model of funding those ministries. Yeah, but what's the end goal? The end goal is to make disciples of all nations. Yeah. So if you're making disciples, but it's in a different method than what we're used to or comfortable with, I would say that, that actually the, the ends do justify the means because the means are preferential things and the end is making disciples of Jesus and seeing people come to faith and having the resources and means to see people come to faith in my mind is, is one of the most important things. That's why we do what we do is to disciple people to know and, and follow Jesus. How does, an entertaining, how does an entertaining worship service make a disciple? It doesn't. And that's what Rick Warren even talks about. Rick Warren references this. Um, it's, it's, it, in that model is seeker sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's not designed to go in-depth discipleship on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. But if that's all the church did, it would be pointless. But those churches, that's not all they do. Mm-hmm. They have Bible stuff. If you, if you look at Rick Warren on a surface level, he preaches a bunch of services. He's got all these cameras, and, and it's a big production. But he's got a whole discipleship track that goes like nine or ten levels deep with classes, with learning, with um, discipleship, with mentoring, with sending churches. And most of the people in the missional movement of today came out of large churches like Rick Warren. They mm-hmm. came out of those, um, those contexts and, and started new expressions of church. Mm-hmm. So I would say that Rick Warren has done more for the missional church than most of the missional church pastors that you and I follow and listen to. 
one that you follow. Um, <laughs> I no, I I I think I think this, this this comes back to again. I was right. Evangelical pastors will do whatever it makes it makes their congregations happy. No, see that to, 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 to generate that income to do whatever else they want to do. See, and, and for me, that's a thoroughly unsatisfying way to consider uh, what I would be doing as a priest every day of my life. That see, is not a great way. A great thought. I don't believe that that's what we're talking about here. Evangelical pastors will not do whatever it takes to make people happy. I think evangelical pastors, some, and I'm not saying all, I'm saying some, okay? Um, some evangelical pastors with good intentions and good hearts will do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus. And for me, if that means laser light shows and fog machines and you want me to do a handstand on stage, I will learn how to do a handstand with my fat rear end on a stage. I'll figure it out. If that's what it takes to see people come to faith, is that's what it takes to see people move far from God to being close to God. In my mind, that's my that's part of my role as a pastor yeah. and part of the benefit of the autonomy that I have been given as a local evangelical church pastor um, is that as my elder team guides me and as we work together, there's no one above me that is disconnected from my context telling me what to do. I can do handstands fog machines, laser light shows, LED screens, whatever it takes to see people come to faith. I think, I think the, the intention is not to get, make people happy. The intention is to, is to get people in a space where they hear the gospel. So whatever that takes, that, mm-hmm. that's the mindset behind many of the attractional yeah, models, yeah. whatever it takes to get and, people in the space to hear Jesus. And I, Jesus. and I disagree that, that's, that, that, this is, that this is true gospel communication. I think that um, the gospel is communicated not only through the words a preacher says, uh, but but must be communicated and embodied by by every aspect of the church's public ministry. Um, that uh, that the the gospel, as I've as I've said to you in the past, the gospel is not an essential kernel around which you can put any dressing or husk you want. And, it, and when the husk no longer works, you can just change it out, and the gospel remains essentially unchanged. Uh, rather, um, the gospel exists on earth amongst the people who are called the church. Um, and, they, and if the church decides, or a local church decides, to change everything it does, I do not think the faith remains unchanged in that instance. I think you, you change what you're proclaiming, when you change what you do hmm. or the resources or the resources you buy um uh and 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 this 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 works on a on a on a on a, on a variety of levels so um you know when you when you get away from say a um a uh a, a form of worship heavily steeped um in scripture and theology uh, which demands a great deal from the worshipper. Uh, when you get a when you get away from that, to to make the burden on the worshipper much less, such that they can become uh, an audience member rather than an active participant in worship, then then you've changed something essential about the kind of faith you're communicating. You're then communicating a faith which says essentially, um, you come and watch other people do. Whereas if you build your, your, your model of church around um, we expect everybody who is baptized to be stepping up 
to act as disciples in this formal gathering, then you are communicating a faith that says, this is a faith for everyone for all their lives. That's what I believe. Hmm. That's good. Well, I think that I, I would like to say that I agree with your critiques of... Um, of some of the modes of church. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm planting a simple church model mm -hmm. where I believe that every part of a public gathering needs to be intentionally thought through. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a theology behind it. Mm -hmm. It needs to be taught. You know, there's a reason why you walk up and rip the bread mm -hmm. off of the, uh, rip a piece off of a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we dip it in, in wine or juice and we explain the differences there. Um, there's a, there's a reason why we, we talk about giving mm -hmm. and take an offering and pass a basket. Um, so I, I believe that when we don't do those things, which many attractional evangelical churches do not do those things, mm -hmm. I will completely agree with you. They don't think through it like that. And when it's cavalier that I think we lose much. So I would completely agree. Um, I'm thinking on a more meta. So that's like on a more micro scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, on a more meta scale, I would say that the intention behind the methodology um, is to bring people to Jesus. And I would say that the gospel, while it is amongst God's people, I would say that a closer definition of how I would view the gospel um, as a reformed evangelical is the gospel is an objective truth mm -hmm. outside of people. And it is rooted in one person, Jesus. Mm -hmm. That is the good news. It goes back to one person who is truth and who is objective mm -hmm. outside of our experiences and outside of the mediation of other people. And so because of that, how you translate Jesus depends on your culture, depends on your context, depends on the people in your proximity. Um, and an example of this is um, uh, I hang out at a tattoo shop and, uh, and I, I describe the gospel to them in this way. And then we'll take a smoke break and then we'll probably be done with this podcast. Uh, but this is, this is how I describe the gospel. I say, um, God originally created us not to suck, but we actually all suck. Every one of us because of Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. um, because they fell in the garden. Now we all suck and our life is sucky and sucky things happen. And God saw our suckiness and doesn't want to leave us in our suckiness. So he sent himself, mm -hmm. his son, Jesus, who didn't suck. And when he died on the cross, he takes all of our suckiness and gives us his not suckiness. Now, and now uh, we don't I'm, have... I'm quite certain, by the way, that uh, at a, at a um, tattoo shop, the word you use is definitely suck, not, not another four-letter word. No, that, with S. no that, I, that, I, that is actually the word I use. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not censoring it for the podcast. Oh. <laughs> I definitely thought you were. No, no, I'm not. I'm actually not censoring it for the podcast. <laughs> but I say, I say that we all suck. Jesus doesn't suck. So he gives us his not suckiness and takes our suckiness. That's double imputation. That's justification. Um, and I try to translate that into, into their context. Mm -hmm. And then I say, if you follow Jesus and you accept his not suckiness, then you live a life that increasingly doesn't suck over time. And one day when you die, you'll be not sucky at all. That's creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Mm -hmm. That's double, imputa double imputed righteousness. Mm -hmm. 
So translating the kernel, as you described, of the gospel, the person of Jesus, into a unique context, in my mind, that's mission. Mm-hmm. And so we need the autonomy to be able to do that. But that's where we differ. And that's where we come to um, what sacrifices do we make in order to reach people for Jesus? And, and are we reaching people for Jesus? I think that is a valid question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, smoke break? Sure. Um, so there's like really, this, this cigar has a funny shape. Can you tell me about this funny shape? It does. It does. It is a, um, uh, it's a perfecto. So um, the normal standard tubular cigars are normal cigars. Any deviation from that shape is called a figardo. Mm-hmm. Um, a figardo is just um, a general term for any unique shape cigar. And then under that, there's different classifications. The one that we're smoking today is a punch champion, and it's a perfecto. So it looks like a torpedo, mm-hmm. um, or actually probably more accurately a bowling pin. Would it you does. say it, it looks like a bowling pin? Ian? Um, so so with this bowling pin shape, it's got a flat bottom to it. It's called a perfecto. Um, there's one that's very similar called a presidente. And um, it doesn't have a flat bottom to it that you light. It actually comes back and closes at the end. So it looks like a double-sided torpedo mm-hmm. with a big, thick um, uh, increase in the middle of mm-hmm. tobacco. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what, what, does it, what does this do to the cigar? Well, um, it's wrapped completely differently. The filler, the long filler that we've been talking about, um, it's wrapped completely differently and has a lot more dense tobacco in it. Mm-hmm. And so the way it's packed and the way the um, wrapper is, this is a Connecticut wrapper. It's a similar wrapper as any other ones. But the, the way that they pack it means that this tiny little cigar, it's probably about uh, three and a half to four inches long, um, it will smoke for 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, I've been very deceived by this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's taken me a, lot, a long time to get through, and I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is quite an impressive smoke. Yeah, so it, it expands out. It goes wider. Again, think of a bowling pin. And so it uh, expands out wider, and it, uh, the, the, it smokes a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, as it gets narrower, it smokes a bit hotter because the, the, the heat of the wrapper is in closer proximity to each other. So it smokes. But uh, just think of the, if you're listening to this, just picture a bowling pin. Um, so it has a flat bottom. It goes wide, then it comes in thinner, and then um, you're smoking the top of the bowling pin, essentially. Yeah, it's delicious. It's absolutely yeah. delicious. Yeah, this is, um, this is a little bit stronger. We, we actually took a big step up from the cigars and the pipe tobacco that we've been smoking over the past couple of weeks. Um, there's no peppery smell to this one, I don't think. Are you getting any of that, Ian? No, no, it's 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 a it's a it's a different kind of flavor. Yeah, I feel like it's a much stronger flavor mm-hmm. um, than what we've been doing, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's good. So this is a this is a Honduras filler. So mm-hmm. it's got a little bit stronger of a of a filler, even though it's got a Connecticut wrapper, which mm-hmm. does influence it somewhat. Yeah, absolutely delicious. So, um, Ian, we're at the we're we're around. Uh, well, we're probably gonna wrap up here. Um, any closing any closing thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So when you when we when we go into a doctor's surgery, we are there to receive a, a specific service. Uh, we have a need uh, to be cured. 
uh, and we expect our doctor to behave in a professional manner. Similarly, when we go to the, the lawyer's office, we don't want the lawyer to be making up what they are doing. Sure. We want, we want the lawyer to know exactly what they're doing and, and everything to go according to plan, everything to go by procedure. I, I, take, a very similar view, I, mean, I take a very similar view to, to pastoral ministry. Um, for, uh, for me, the job is, is too important to think that we get to make it up uh, or do what we want. Um, we, have, we have a specific job to do and, uh, and, and uh, a unique trust that's given to us. Uh, so I, I, can't really, I can't get behind um, too much um, uh, what you would call contextualization, I would call pandering um, uh, to give people what they want. Um, because this is not, uh, for me, communicating the, uh, the significance of the gospel and, and how we are to be reconciled to God uh, by repentance and faith. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. That's really good. That's a great analogy, Ian. It really is. Um, can I rebuttal that mm. as we close? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when I, go to a, when I get surgery, I go to a specialist. <clears throat> so if I'm getting surgery on my foot... I go to a podiatrist. Mm-hmm. If I get surgery on my vocal cords, I, I go to a different doctor. Um, when I have surgery, it's a specialist. But here's the deal. When I have a cold or I have a flu or I've got a cough I can't explain, who do I go to? Uh, WebMD. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I think I have cancer. I'm going to die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but who would I go to if I have this? this? Oh, the pharmacy. Yeah, a, a general practitioner, uh-huh. a general doctor. They call him a GP. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go to a general practitioner, and that general practitioner knows a lot about it. He knows he knows he's he's had rotations in all the different specialists, and so when I come to him, he's able to identify if I have a flu. He's able to identify if I have a cold. He's a, able to identify if I have pneumonia, or she's able to identify if I have. See, it's not just he; it's she's as well, um, or she's able to identify. Um, if I have bronchitis or if I have something that they can't quite figure out, they know where to send me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a general practitioner, um, that's what I view the pastor to be. The pastor is a general practitioner mm-hmm. that sees a lot of different people in a lot of different stages. And so a general practitioner needs to be knowledgeable about a lot of different way, ways and areas and to pull resources as needed to be able to reach those patients that, that he or she sees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I, 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 am not going to, I'm not going to dis- disagree with you on that. Um, but I think, I think I, I do certainly want to, want to maintain that, um, the pastoral office and the, and the, and the role of the cure of souls, um, is, is too important to, to think that we can get away with doing whatever we want in church. That's and, all. and I would say that that's where we agree to. I don't believe that we should do whatever we want. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. If you like what we're doing, please send us a comment, text, email, or smoke signal. We want to hear your feedback. Please, we're millennials. We need feedback. Um, And as always, we'd like to thank our executive producer, Nosmo King, for all his efforts in making this podcast possible. Ian, are you reconciled with Nosmo King yet? Uh, You know what? He uh, he gave me a gift card to Starbucks. Oh, really? So that I could get more coffees. So uh, I think I think we're pretty much pretty much there. Good, I'm glad. Well, guys, thanks for joining in, and see you next time. See you next time.
something inside.